Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. I mean, they always have a big mouth. They always talk a lot. So it happened before, it's going to happen again. Welcome to another episode of Fantastic Tennis, where the fans get to know their favorite pros. I'm your host, John Garica. Each week, I'm joined by a major fan of the sport that, like most of us, love to talk, follow, play, and give their unsolicited opinions about the sport we all love. And to help balance that out, we're always joined by an expert of the game that has been there and knows exactly what it feels like to win those big matches. We get to pick their brain and ask all the questions we've always wanted to ask our favorite players. This is Fantastic Tennis. This week's fan guest is a major fan of the sport living in Berlin, Germany. He's such a fan of tennis, actually, that when it came time to write his master's thesis in American studies, he chose to write about Serena Williams and her fight against racism, sexism, and classism in professional tennis. You've got to send me this. It sounds absolutely amazing. Currently recovering from ACL surgery, the same injury that sidelined today's guest. It's no surprise how he took inspiration from her full recovery. My guest today is Simon Dahlmeier. Simon, hello. Good morning. Guten Morgen from Berlin. Thanks, John, for having me. Oh, I'm very excited. I have two German speakers on the show today, so I'm, I'm very excited. I'm, I can't wait to see how much German you talk behind my back today. I love it. It's going to be fantastisch. Right. Okay. All right. Good. Oh man. All right. I know a hundred random words, so don't, don't try me. I got this. All right. Um, it's going to come in handy. All right. All right. Let's bring out our player guest. Our player guest today is a veteran of the WTA tour that began playing events back in 2002. Her current rank of 50 in the world is just shy of her career high of number 27 that she achieved in 2016 when she'd go on to win the first of two WTA singles titles. Later that year, she would make a splash by upsetting three top 10 players in a row to make the final of her hometown event in Stuttgart, Germany, as well as a quarterfinal appearance at the Olympic Games in Rio and her first Grand Slam and mixed doubles at the 2016 US Open. She would come back to Stuttgart in 2017 and claim her biggest singles title thus far by winning the coveted Porsche Tennis Grand Prix by defeating, as a wildcard, WTA superstars like Karolina Pliskova, Svetlana Kuznetsova, and Simona Halep. But her year would come to a crashing halt as just a few events later, she would have a severe ACL injury at a tournament in Nuremberg, Germany that would almost end her career. But in true fighting spirit, she'd climb her way back from injury and up the WTA rankings once again and would find the form that would see her playing some of the best tennis of her career as she would go on to win the 2020 U.S. Open doubles title with partner Vera Zvonareva. And just recently, she would have her best result at the 2020 French Open, where she made it all the way to the quarterfinals. Our guest today is Laura Sigamund. Laura, welcome to the show. Willkommen. Hi, thanks for having me and good morning, early morning for you. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's six o'clock in the States for me, but you guys are just chilling on your Sunday morning. So I appreciate it. Thank you very much. <laughs> Laura, before we start the show, I want to ask how you've been during the COVID break. You doing okay? How's the family? Um, yeah, everything fine here. Although, um, yeah, I have to say, unfortunately, here the numbers are rising also again. So, um, you know, we're starting to uh, kind of going up and down with the precautions. But as, so far, fortunately, my family and everybody is healthy. And we were also able to, to um, you know, do a full 
preseason and weren't, um, you know, we were able to practice and do our gym sessions and all that that's necessary. Yeah. Great. Angela Merkel announced a lockdown today for your country during the holidays. Tough. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, I don't know what it means for Monday. It's kind of like you live from one day to the other. Until now, it was fine. And I assume pros will be, um, you know, protected and able to to do their job and train. Um, but but there are more um, restrictions now starting from yesterday, actually. Yeah, like you can't go out in the night and restrictions how many people you can meet, that kind of stuff. Well, if we keep wearing our masks, hopefully we're going to see tennis soon in 2021. So I'm, yeah. I'm glad everybody's okay. Fantastic. I, I love hearing that update. All right, guys, before we jump into some recent tennis, I thought we'd start the pod today with my favorite way to start any service game. 15 love. And that's 15 love. It's a super simple game. I'm going to throw 15 questions at you, Laura, and you just respond as quickly as you can with the first thing that pops into Dein Gehirn. Okay. Did I do <laughs> good with that? Yeah. Dan- that could be dangerous. Okay, <laughs> let's, let's see. Let's oh, see. good. All right. Oh, amazing. All right, let's go. Question number one. Name the first professional tennis match you remember watching live or on television. Oh, I re- it's not the first one, but I remember the final Graf against Hingis in the French Open. And I remember watching it with Tatiana Maria, actually, also a, a pro player now. It's not the first one. The first one were Becker's from uh, matches from Becker at home in my living room. But I don't remember the first one. 99 French Open was iconic. A classic. Absolutely. Yeah. Number two, yeah. where is the Porsche that you won by winning Stuttgart? And more importantly, what color was it? <laughs> It's down in my garage, uh, two floors down from where I'm sitting right now. It has no winter wheels, so because I'm usually never here. So it's just sitting there right now, getting dusty. And the color is called, um, now I have a blackout, <laughs> frozen berry. And frozen berry, uh, okay. And now all the guys, I am sorry, the guys would say it's purple. It is not purple, but it's some kind of kind of a gray beige purpley touch. Yeah. Okay. All right. A purple Porsche. I love it. I, I now I <laughs> no, wanna... it's not purple. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna get hashtag purple porch on, on every on all your photos oh, now. God. All right. Number three. First word that pops into your head when I say the name Angelique Kerber. Uh, two Grand Slam victories is the first thing. Yeah. Number four. What word do you scream on court the most? Yes. And come on, very German, as you can see. Both good ones. <laughs> but in German, it sounds so everything in German. We, we use American language because it sounds so much cooler. In German, you say Auf geht's. I mean, that's like. <laughs> I, 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 no, Auf geht's sounds good. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that now on the next time I'm quit. All right. Number five, name a hobby you have off court. Um, yoga. Awesome. Amazing. Downward dog it. You get your pick of any tennis legend to become your super coach for one tournament. Who do you pick? I pick Federer. Oh, good one. I think I'd be all right with that coaching. But then make-, make that tournament maybe Wimbledon, possibly. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah. You don't need yeah. help with the French. You don't need help on the clay. Let's let's do it. Let's pick another surface. I like it. Number seven. Name someone currently on the men's or women's tour that you don't really know, but looks like they'd be a lot of fun to hang out with. Oh, I would say Sviatic. I know her just like kind of from saying hi and you know bye, but she's super relaxed and uh, um, she seems like someone nice to to be around. She looks like a blast. She really does. Yeah. 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 Number eight, name the best German tennis player to have never won a Grand Slam. Hmm. That's a hard one. 
very it's hard. a very hard one. Yeah. Name any player then. We could na name any player. I mean, Sverev, for example, I think he will win a, a slam and he's one of the great, he's not maybe the best German player, but he's a great, great player and he will still improve. He's very young still. So let's say him. Yeah. He was almost there also. He was in the final. Almost. So, yeah. He was. He was. Number nine, name someone you'd like to play doubles or mixed doubles with that you haven't yet. Also Federer. I would love to play a mixed doubles <laughs> with him. That wouldn't be too bad. <laughs> I hope the next answer is Federer too. I want like the next five answers to be Federer. <laughs> I, I, no, no. I try, I try not to make it so boring. <laughs> okay. No, I like it. I mean, Federer is amazing. All right. Number 10. What is something that people listening today probably don't know about you? Um, that I'm very creative and also play music instruments. That's something that you never talk about, but I like music a lot and I played piano and other instruments when I was younger. Oh. Now I don't have the time anymore. Yeah. Just like a hobby, but yeah. we'll have to talk off camera. Mm. Hey, I'm a big music fan too. Yeah. And so is Simon. Actually, <laughs> we have, uh, I have my German Eurovision flag right here. So <laughs> I love that when you take out that little flag. Yeah. <laughs> For those listening, I have a German flag that I'm going to wave. Just whenever we need some inspiration, I'm going to wave the German flag today. Just randomly. Exactly. Just random German flag today. All right. Uh, number 11, you get one singles loss from your career to turn into a win instead. Which one do you pick? Yeah, then I would actually take the 2016 final against Angie because that was painful. Because I... I mean, I won it the year after, so, um, you know, but that was, I played so well and I was just damn tired. That was the reason why I lost. I wasn't playing bad, but I couldn't move anymore. And if I, that was really a pain one because I played like, I don't know, this was my yep. eighth match or something. And I knew I could beat her, but I was just physically dead. Oh, I, I love that we're ruminating all these years about it. That's good. I love, I love hearing that. People love to hear this. It's fantastic. I love it. Uh, name your best friend on tour. Um, I have to say I have not so many close people on tour because I, in my, all my life, I had only like few people. I would say I'm getting along very well with Victoria Golubic. I don't know if people know her. Of course. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would name her for right Fantastic. now. Fantastic. Number 13, describe yourself off court in one word. <laughs> very spontaneous. Um, extreme. Great. Oh, I can't wait to explore that today. That sounds great. That's the psychology behind <laughs> Laura Siegemund. I love it. Number 14, looking forward to next year. What is your number one goal for the 2021 tennis season? My number one goal is to stay healthy and be able to play the whole season. Great goal. And last one, once you finally retire in nine or 10 years, because you're not going anywhere exactly. yet. Exactly. Maybe 11. Let's also. say 11. Yeah. yeah. We have this new era of 40 plus. Serena and Venus have, you know, Kim have, have let us have these amazing yeah. champions for so long. In 10 years, when you retire, what would you like to be remembered for? Wow. Um, yeah, I would, I would want to be remembered for how do you say like with my game and with my style and also of course with what I achieve but like you know pulling the people with me I don't know how you say that in English like bringing some enthusiasm to the people that rem they remember matches or my fighter spirit and uh, that I never gave up and that I made the most out of my potential and that it inspires them then, you know, maybe I'm not the greatest player of all time and I would probably never be <laughs> anymore, but just to make the most out of what you can do, uh, that would be something nice to be remembered for. 
Well, that's what your fans think of you for right now. So I love it. It's what a good transition. Thank you, Laura. Obviously, we'll we'll analyze and psychologize those answers later. We can play mm-hmm. them back once you mm-hmm. listen to this, but awesome. Well done. That's kind of like therapy. I like it. <laughs> All right. All right. Before we jump into your career, Laura, I'd love to talk some recent tennis with you both. We'll start with training in the offseason. Everyone's gearing up for a February 8th Australian Open start date. How has your off-season been thus far, Laura? And you mentioned a little bit, but you've been able to train the past month or so fairly normally. Exactly. Yeah, I, I took a, a really nice, uh, quite long vacation after Paris. Also due to my, um, you know, physical um, I, things I had going on there. So I had a, a two, three week wake, vacation with my family and friends. And then I started in November pretty much with my off season. And um, and it was, uh, I have to say, I'm really happy with it. It, um, you know, it always depends. You're, you're doing really high loads of, of work and um, I like to train very hard and sometimes your body lets you down at times. And I was happy that, that it was consistently, you know, going up and up uh, with my performance and with how I feel. And um, yeah, so we are in week five, then the next week. And But it's starting to be a little bit difficult because we don't know exactly when am I going to play my first match and all that. But until now, we had a great plan and and yeah, I'm feeling really happy about it. Uh, obviously, the way you're talking, Australia is 100% in the cards for you. You plan on going. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I do plan also on playing that first tournament wherever it will be. And yeah, that's kind of like making it a bit tough. <laughs> we're still, yeah, fans and, and players alike, we're still waiting right now for word to see yeah. what what 2021 will start like for everyone. So yeah, good luck. We can't wait to see. Obviously we've, we just saw your magical U S open run. I can assume that you'll possibly play with Vera in Australia as well. Is that the plan? Yeah, exactly. We arranged uh, to play together wherever we are, you know, at the same tournament, of course. And and we also arranged for those first tournaments of 2021. Back-to-back hardcore slams. That's it. (laughs) Yeah. Why not? Why not? Absolutely. Uh, Simon, I would be remiss if I didn't ask two Germans on this call, and especially one that works for German sports television like you do, about the state of tennis in Germany right now. I'd love to talk about men's tennis for one second. We saw Alexander Zverev finally break through and make a U.S. Open final this past year, but he's had a rough year off court. And fans feel like he has some question marks, but um, is that the case in Germany as well? Well, I think the expectations are pretty high for Zverev because ever since he joined the tour, he was that huge talent that only waits to win his first Grand Slam. But I think, you know, what's what's really difficult for professional players in Germany is that they always get compared to Becker and Graf. And that's why when there is a talent like Sverev used to be because I, I don't think he's a talent anymore. He's really a top player now. Uh, pretty difficult to reach those expectations, but I really hope for him that he finally wins that Grand Slam next year. Well, he's he was in court again this week dealing with a whole bunch of off-court things. So he said, you know, I, I've had a lot of preoccupation this past year and hopefully I can focus on next year when everything's out and back on track. So who knows, right? You know, there are four of the Germans that finish in the top 100. So men's tennis is looking very solid in Germany as well. And we love Dustin Brown, you know, he's, he's in the two hundreds, but most of them are in their thirties. You know, the men's tour, it's a little different from. May I add something to, to Dustin Brown? Um, when I was like 20 years old, I did my first steps as a line umpire in a small ATP challenger tournament and Dustin Brown was playing there. 
And when he was still like a non top 100 player, he used to travel there with his caravan so or his RV. <laughs> so um, he was always living in his RV just behind the like tennis courts. And from there, he was he was uh, going to his matches. It was just cool. Yeah, the, the people always loved him for his spectacular way of playing. So I can confirm them also <laughs> because I was... In, in 2008, <laughs> I was uh, I was doing my coaching license. I was kind of try to have a you know next to professional tennis to also kind of build up for after my sport or whenever my sport wouldn't go well anymore. So I was doing the coaching license. There was the van always in front of the federation there and crazy stories about what happened in that van. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We've heard those stories and now you've just confirmed them. So yes. <laughs> 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 there it was the party van, the nightclub van. The, I don't know what the, what was going on in that van. I never, I have to admit, I never had a lot to do with Dustin. I mean, I saw him there. He trained there, you know, and, and uh, I, obviously I know him. We had a nice conversation in Rio at the Olympics one time. And anyway, but um, I was never inside that van. I was too afraid <laughs> <laughs> yeah, are we all just picturing right now like Dustin Brown saying, Laura, come into my van? Like uh, <laughs> the Dustin Brown party van sounds amazing. Amazing. Oh my gosh. Well, on a positive note, on the women's side, you guys have been working very hard at putting together an amazing Billie Jean King Cup team. You have now formerly Fed Cup. It's scheduled April 13th through the 18th in Budapest, Hungary. It's a new format. 12 teams divided into four round-robin groups of three teams each, and then you'll qualify for the semifinals. It's a brand-new format. It's one they've used in years prior. Laura, you've, you've played some great Fed Cup matches. Are you excited about the new format? I am excited. I think it's a great thing to kind of make a, you know, an event in, in one place um, and, and bigger like that. And um, I was really sad that, you know, this year it didn't happen. We had a great run in, in, in Brazil. I personally had a great performance also, which added to just a really nice team week. We were a great team there. And it would have been nice to just continue that pretty much soon after in April. And, and it was very sad that that didn't take place. But I'm really looking forward to when it does um, the, next year. And, um, and I'm excited, definitely excited for the new format. Yeah, two two big wins in Brazil for you this past February yeah. 2020. Well, I mean, if you're leaving, you know, cold Germany to go to beautiful Brazil in February and you played really well, I don't know. Well, if well, the tough thing was that uh, I mean, we were in Australia already ah. from before Christmas, and then we kind of I decided to not go back home and stay there in Australia, kind of bridge the time until Brazil, and it it was a long trip, but it was well worth it. Well worth it. Well, I can't wait till next year. All right, guys, this is a fan podcast. We have Simon on today's show as well. Simon, you're an avid tennis player and you're a big fan of Laura's. I'd love to know a little bit about how you started playing tennis. Oh, well, I started playing tennis when I was 10 years old. I, I, I grew up in a very small village of 2000 people in Bavaria. So the, it was it was pretty common for these villages to also have tennis courts. And because I never was a like a team player like soccer or uh, any other sports, my parents decided to send me to a tennis coach there. And that's how I started playing tennis. And um, yeah, until I was 18, I had single practice lessons with a semi-professional coach. And yeah, after that, uh, my parents told me, well, 
you're an adult now you have to <laughs> you have to take care of yourself but i i never lost my love for tennis and i i kept playing until i tore my lcl so yeah well you never lost your love and you found laura obviously you're a big fan of german tennis when did laura get on your radar and what has resonated so much with laura's game that that you're such a fan Well, what I do love about Laura's tennis, I think that's pretty similar to mine, although I'm on a much lower level, uh, is that she never gives up and she has this like fire when she's on court. And there are so many matches that I just loved watching. It was like when I think back, I mean, how amazing was that uh, 2017 final against Mladenovic in the in the tie break? Um, it was incredible, but also amazing. Yeah, this year, for example, the Auckland match versus Serena Williams, it was also so amazing. I mean, she did so well, but in the end, I guess it's just the Serena spirit that... Is... When at four all, you get uh, yeah. two aces and a service win, yeah. win on them, it's, <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> yeah, but, but from that from that moment, I already knew it's going to be a good year for her because it was a really good performance. And um, well, even after the COVID break, she confirmed that and um, it resulted in that quarterfinal against uh, Kvitova. Absolutely. What a year Laura's had. I can't wait to talk about it now. It's time to play a game called, are we ready for a game? Of course. Definitely. Always ready for games. All right, everyone. I'd love to play a game called I 40 Love You. It'll be Simon versus Laura in a fan versus favorite tennis match trivia showdown all about Laura's career and life. Simon, I'm going to ask you two questions about Laura's career. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ask you two questions about Laura's career. Then, Laura, I'm going to ask you two questions that kind of sort of have to deal with Simon, but more so about you. Okay. So don't worry. <laughs> If we happen to end in a 2-2 tie, I'm going to give Simon the opportunity right now to be today's champion but only if he can survive this first question. Otherwise, the tiebreak goes to Laura. So pressure's on, Simon. Mm -hmm. I'm ready. All right, this first game is called True or Fault. This is an early test of your fandom to Team Sigmund. So good luck to you. Feel Gluck, yeah? Feel Gluck. Feel Gluck. All right, Simon. I'm... But the potential for getting embarrassed is very high, I guess. Yeah, I feel the same. I know nothing about you, Simon. This can only turn out really bad. Yeah. We're also a friend-making show. So, you know, we, we're okay. getting to know each other right okay. now. So we'll learn. Like I said, we're going to give you three statements, Simon, about Laura. If the statement is true, you just say true. If the statement is not correct, please firmly say fault in your best Wimbledon lines person's voice, okay? You'll need two out of three of these to win the tiebreak. All right, you ready? Mm -hmm. All right, the first one I think is a fairly easy one if you know Laura. True or fault, Laura completed her psychology degree from the University of Hagen. That is true. It is true, yes, Laura, amazing. You know, I'm, I was always curious about psychology and about the mind of, of humans basically and and uh, I I you know I always was uh, was important for me to finish my school and to have education besides becoming a tennis pro because I think that's just good for life if you if you you know it's not only about becoming a star and being a multimillionaire life is long and you want to learn you want to study I always like learning and um, I had a bad phase in tennis and for quite a long time in 2012 I decided to stop playing professionally basically and um and that's the time when i said okay finally i have really time for a, a full studying and uh, um, really focus on that also because i tried it already besides playing professionally but 
yeah, it was just then I wasn't playing so well because my mind was full with other things or I had not so the grades weren't so good because I was more, you know, busy with my tennis. So it was it was not able to do both good and at the same time. And so when I decided to stop, that's when I picked up my studies and I, I did the whole bachelor degree. Hey, congratulations. That's amazing. I, you know, to, to balance the, that out. Absolutely. Thanks. <laughs> You're on the board, Simon. Question number two, uh, Laura was one match away from winning a medal at the 2016 Rio Olympics. Is that true or fault? Wait, I have to, I have to practice now. It's a fault. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> I forgot that. I forgot that he had to make it with that voice. <laughs> <laughs> well done that was your best lights person's voice yes that is correct she was two matches away i don't want to talk about it <laughs> it was against monica puig she was the german nemesis at the olympic games because she also beat cover at the, in the final and uh everyone here was super hyped about like a gold medal in tennis and uh then there's this woman uh who's just defeating our number one it was uh yeah she was killing it. Yeah, absolutely. L Laura, what was obviously you made the quarterfinals. What a great experience in Rio. What was your Olympic experience like? Huh. I made it an experience. I, I think that sometimes, you know, we are uh, a bit spoiled in tennis um, that, you know, we're, we're gaining good money with our sport. We, we can really live from it. We have every week a tournament we can play and where we can improve and also make money. So we are really spoiled compared to other athletes that have some have only the Olympics. They train four years to perform there. Maybe they have a, a European or a world championship in between, but really they they have to perform even more on the spot, much more on the spot. And so um, I love sports. I love tennis also, but I not particularly tennis. I ended up in tennis, but I just love sports in general. So Olympic Games for me, it's the highlight. I always sit in the in front of the TV and watch everything. And there I was qualifying for Rio so I could see everything live. So unlike the other tennis players, I didn't just go there, played my competition and left. I went there a week early. I have a friend living in Rio. So I, um, I kind of did the whole sightseeing thing before. Then I played my competition. I did it really focused and it was also good. I played well. And then after that, I canceled Cincinnati. That was also short term right after. But then I even canceled New Haven because I said I just enjoyed my time so much. I made a lot of friends wow. uh, there. And I, I was like, OK, I'm going to do this whole thing. I stay the two weeks. I watch sports and I went to the US Open very relaxed. I had a great preparation in there. I had a lot of time and I played a good US Open. I think I played third round. So looking back at it, I did everything right. And I, I watched all the sports you can imagine live. And it was it was a blast. I loved it. Yeah. Wow. What a great story. Mm -hmm. I love that you got to participate in that. What a, you immersed yourself and you have Tokyo next year to look forward to, hopefully, if we knock on wood. Yeah, I, I also, exactly. I also have to say for me, it was like, I was in Rio um, thinking or, or, you know, making decisions that this could be my only, my first and only Olympics. You never know. I, I back then I didn't know if I was still playing four years, you know, and or five. Uh, now, I'm now five years, at, uh, who knows? Uh, it could be six years. It could be seven. I mean, hopefully not. Let's exactly. 
Exactly. But now I'm actually looking at having good chances to go to Tokyo and, and I would love to go because this is just Rio. That was an experience. I would always do that again. It's, it's unbelievable to meet these athletes, to be in touch with them. And then, of course, also to play for your country. But the whole thing, it's just amazing. No, I know. And, and you have a great uh, pool of players to pick from. You have Kerber, Petkovic, Maria, yeah. Fritz, some great doubles options for you, too, to, to get a medal. Mm. So very excited. And you can take the Dustin Brown caravan to Tokyo and you guys can play mixed and win a medal. This sounds amazing. I love this, like uh, this setup that we're already starting. I love good, good Dustin Brown Siegemann title. All right, Simon, you've already won this, but that's congratulations. You have two out of three, but we're going to go with the last question anyway, but since you're such a fan, I'm, I think you're going to ace this last one. True or fault? Laura is the first German player in the open era to win the mixed doubles title at the US Open. Is that true or fault? Oh my God. Ooh, that's a hard one. Um, but my feeling tells me it's true. Laura, do you know true or false? Do you... it, I, 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 think it's, I think it's not true, but I'm okay. also not sure. Well, it is true. You were the very oh, first wow. German man or woman to win a mixed title at the US Open. So congratulations. <laughs> They won, other people won, but not at the US Open. Correct, correct. Mm. You were just the second German woman, though, to win the US Open ladies doubles title. Exactly. I know that for sure, because that was here in the press, a big deal that in 85, the last doubles title was uh, brought to Germany. But I thought that there was also mixed, um, but even better like this. <laughs> It's fantastic. It's in the history books, Dr. Laura yeah, Sigmund. Yes, yeah, it's there. Yeah. yeah, it was Claudia Kotkilsch and Helena Sukova in 85. Yeah, yeah they, exactly. they had a great one. Yeah. Well, well done, Simon. You win the tiebreaker. Simon, you're you unbelievable. Chapeau. You haven't won the game, but it's a good tiebreak to have. You always want that, yeah. that final tiebreak. All right. So we'll start with you, Simon. We're going to start the game. First question about Laura. So this is where it counts. After years of climbing up the rankings, playing ITF events, Laura would play her first main draw of a WTA event in Bastad, Sweden at the 2010 Swedish Open. Years later, she would also go on to win her first WTA title at the same event on the outdoor red clay in 2016. Laura is in great company with having her name on the Champions Trophy as this former number one won her 53rd singles title at the same event a few years earlier in 2013. Which former number one also has a title in Bastad? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I thought now, <laughs> I thought now you, you're bringing them multiple choice yeah. options, but he has to know it from scratch. We're going hard. We're going hard right now. Those were easy. He aced this. Let's do it. I'm feeling for you, Simon. So it's a 53rd title so she must have won pretty much already before. I'm giving you so context clues. Yes, absolutely. So it could only be like Serena or Venus. It's uh, I, I'd say Serena. That's correct. Yes, Simon. Yeah, fantastic, <laughs> fantastic. Yes, I I also yeah. I wanted to bring up Serena because you wrote your thesis about Serena, and I would love to hear a little bit for a second what that topic was. Yeah. Uh, so I wrote my master's thesis in, in American studies here at the Humboldt University in Berlin about Serena Williams and how she directly or indirectly influences the yeah discussion about racism sexism but also about classism in professional tennis uh, which used to be a very white sport uh, in in the past 
and um, how she uses her iconic status to address these issues so that she actually is a valid opinion in the public discourse. And uh, so I analyzed her biography, her the documentaries about her, but also her appearances on, on court. And uh, for example, that very controversial US Open final against Naomi Osaka. And um, how she turns these events into fighting for a cause. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Which she's done her entire career. So I, I cannot wait to listen and read this, your thesis. Please send it to me. I'd love to hear it. Thank you. Yeah. That was her yeah. what, uh, 53rd title. And now she has 73 titles. So we're hoping that she gets that last one that she really wants. So we'll, we'll see. Good luck to Serena. Yeah. Laura, winning a title anywhere is a major accomplishment. You'd been playing ITFs for a while the memory of winning that title in Bastad must have been so sweet. Lots of hard work that went into that title, I'm assuming, and lots of good memories in Sweden. Yeah, um, I have to say, um, apart from the Porsche Grand Prix here in, in Stuttgart, which is obviously my home tournament, Bastad is is really my favorite tournament, uh, was through the years. Unfortunately, they, they don't have it anymore. But uh, it's, it's just the location. It's in Sweden. It's right on the sea. It's a great hotel. The courts are basically at the hotel so you're you don't have to go anywhere and it's just this really cozy little place and and i always loved loved the, the event they did a great job and i was really happy that i won my first title there and what was interesting also about that i had a, a german coach for for a long long time but he couldn't travel a lot and uh, for that tournament, I took my a good friend of mine, an American coach, with me, more kind of just for support and also maybe to try to have him more often at tournaments. And that was the first event he came to. And I won the tournament. So that was just a great week as a team with my physiotherapist and him. We, we had a blast in that week. And then also results like that are possible. You had been playing ITFs for years at that point before winning the title. You played in very non-traditional countries like Nigeria, Egypt, Lebanon. You were traveling mm -hmm. all over the world to make money and to make a living at the sport you love. You stuck with it. It paid off. What an amazing feeling to win that first title. Can you tell us a little bit about how you started playing tennis? I'd love to hear the journey of, of how we got to 2010. Um, yeah, I, I started early with like three years. I started to play with my dad already, like in the street with a softball. And I think with four years, I had my first uh, single lessons at a cl club close by where I live. My, uh, my parents both, they, they loved sports, uh, but especially tennis was one of them that we could play pretty much anywhere. We were traveling abroad some for my dad's work sometimes. So we lived three years in Saudi Arabia when I was there was just around that time when I was four years old. And then you do the sport that is available to you there. And that was like they had an outside volleyball court and they had tennis courts. So we ended up playing tennis there. And my brother, he's five years older. He was also playing. And so that was kind of ended up being the family sport. Later on, we moved also to Indonesia and also there it was possible to play tennis. So it was just one of these spots we were able to do anywhere. And it turned out pretty quickly that I was surprisingly, or not surprisingly, but that I was really good at it better than a normal kid that age would be. Yeah. You actually were a great junior. You played ITF events. You were the first German since Steffi Graf to win the 12 and unders at the Orange Bowl as well. That's a huge title in junior tennis. Mm-hmm. All eyes were on you as, as a kid. Obviously, I know that 
Simon spoke to the pressure of the German press about making the next Steffi or the next Anka or the next Angelique. Was it always your goal to turn pro when you were young? Was that the focus even at 12? You, you were winning big titles, so it was it was something within your grasp. Yeah, exactly. I I'm a very ambitious, or also as a as a child, I was very uh, ambitious and driven, and I I won pretty much anything in the in the even in the children's tournaments and and young junior tournaments locally or in Germany that you can win, and uh, and I just yeah I, I think I have that how can I say that drive that if I'm good at something I want to get more and more and more I think that's also what you need in in order to you know become a professional but for me it was clear around 12 13 that I really want to turn pro but then when I was 13 after I had won the orange bowl and you know sponsors came and it kind of got more attention the whole thing um then uh, I decided really for myself that I want to put all my time and effort in that that's also, you know, when I changed schooling and I did kind of like a, a homeschooling, went into a homeschooling situation and when a lot of things for me changed in order to to train more professionally. Very few players on the ITF level. A lot of people listening today don't really know the hardships that players like yourself had to endure or do endure right now, uh, playing in places far off that you wouldn't even assume have tennis courts or, or even a structured mm-hmm. tennis. It's so out of pocket that players are, are doing this. Um, but few players can actually say they started at the 10K level and are playing top 50 tennis and have two grand slams. What were those early years like for you on tour playing those events? Uh, was it, you mentioned a little bit about stopping tennis in 2000, 2012. Mm-hmm. Was that part of it? Was that just the travel and the day in, day out? Yeah, I don't know if it's a, if it's a curse or a, um, uh, what's the opposite of a curse in English? I don't have a word right now. If it's a good thing or a bad thing that I went through this yeah. process. I had a lot of years. I was a very talented junior. Then I kind of struggled a bit in the age of 15, 16, 17, couldn't, had maybe whatever, the wrong coaches. You know, a lot of things have to come together to make a good transfer from being a good junior at 12 or 13 uh, to being a good pro when you come out like at that time it was around 18 19 that you had to have pro results now it's much later now it's like 22 23 but anyway there a lot of good things have to happen and uh, that was for me just not the case so I didn't I couldn't close the gap basically between you know junior tennis and and pro tennis and uh, that time I had financially a difficult situation I was paying everything by myself meaning that you know I couldn't afford a, a good coach to come with me or a fitness coach or physio all these things that are necessary to work really on the highest professional level and I couldn't pay for it for a long time my mother was traveling with me just kind of as support but then of course you know you grow up and you uh, you become a young lady and you have your own opinion about how you should doing things and then it gets difficult this mother daughter relationship or you know that the daughter parent relationship and uh and that's when I decided uh, rather than fighting and having discussions about how things need to be done I said I, then I want to travel alone because I have a very good relationship to my parents and I didn't want it to be hurt just because of tennis and because we have maybe some some different opinions there I was just growing up basically so I ended up traveling alone and now I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing. In general, of, of course, if you're a great junior and you kind of 
you you cruise through that ITF level, you play a few 25s, you play great, and then off you go to play uh, qualies at WTAs and then finally main draw at WTAs. That's a smooth way, and you also learn a lot for sure on that way. But because I was kind of stuck a long time in this ITF level, I learned really the hard way. I mean, I learned to, you know, save money in every way, to stay with families, to to deal with things alone because I I had to fight for my own existence. Yeah, if I didn't make the money, I couldn't go back home or I couldn't go to the next tournament. So in the end, like now that, you know, let's say things worked out for me, let's say it like that, it was a great school. I value money. I value the hard work uh, that needs to be put in. I, I really have a lot of respect for people that are struggling at the bottom uh, in order to get to the top, maybe. If you have a more smooth and easy way up to the top, maybe you don't value the things at the top as much. I don't know. I have to say for sure these all these years... They caused me incredible pain, I have to say. They made me also hate the sport at times. And that's maybe not a good thing. Yeah, But also I learned to value mm. the positives about it and the, the, the things that it gives to you. So I think for my, in general, for, you know, if you speak as a person, as a human being, this was experience that made me, uh, uh, that made me go forward in my personality. And uh but yeah, I have to say on the other end, they caused me a lot of pain and I also stopped playing for that reason. I love that you can look back and reflect and and use the good that tennis has brought you today to to really kind of focus and say, you know what, I'm enjoying what I'm doing right now because I put in the exactly. work. I did, I did exactly what I had to do. I've, I was, you literally were playing these events week after week to, to survive. Uh, nothing but nothing but thumbs up for you, Laura Sigmund. <laughs> One last question about Bastad. I did wonder this long road that it took to win this title. Looking back, I know it's been 10 years, but what did winning that title really change for you and your mindset? You'd finally done it, so you knew you could do it again. Was that um, was that more of a monkey off the back or was it just say, okay, one more, we keep going, we go to the next one? Was that something you can reflect on now? Um, I mean, it, it has a little bit something off that when you win a title, it's something you can just check off the list and you can, because there are a lot of good players that play for years and they play, I don't know, in the top 50, but they don't win a title. Yeah. And so it is something that takes a little burden off your, off your chest that you're able to on the highest level of the sport even though it was an international event it was a smaller one of the tournaments but anyway on the pro on the main pro tour to be able to win a title at that time it did it did take a burden off me but at the same time it gives you this feeling hey i really belong here we i think as tennis players um, a lot of times, especially younger players, you have the doubt always, do, am I really here? Am I really good enough? Do I really belong here? And if you get it black and white in a title, then you it, it just boosts your self-confidence and that can help you throughout the next years. And that's also what, what happened with me. I, I wanted more. It was a great experience and I wanted more of that. So it was a little bit of both, checking off something that was really important for me and also being a kind of a jumping board to go forward from there. 
Well, I love that you equated your early years on tour to school, because I think that's, it's a great mindset to say, Hey, you know, this is the foundation of where I am now. I've graduated. I'm, you know, I'm playing main draws and I'm playing grand slam. So I love that. And I did want to say your mom did a good job, obviously, because you didn't get into the, into the Dustin Brown van. So she must've done (laughs) something right. She didn't, you weren't Lord. So she instilled with you at those early tournaments, yeah. you know, how to conduct yeah. yourself in a proper Laura Sigamund way. So well done. I love hearing that story. Okay, Laura, your first question about Simon. Are you ready for this? Oh, yeah. Now, um, okay. I thought you forgot about that, man. <laughs> okay. Simon's killing it right now. So we have oh, to yeah. stay on the board. You could stay with him. We got this. All right. We're still in this game. All right, Laura, Simon actually worked as a lines person for two years at the WTA event in his hometown of Nuremberg. It seemed like he was doing a great job because over the years, he claims that he only had one player get upset at one of his line calls. Ironically, that legend is someone you played in back-to-back Australian Opens, going one-and-one in your all-time head-to-head. Which player gave Simon a major side-eye? Exciting. Uh, <laughs> who did I lose? And Ah, Jankovic. Wow, you pulled that out of your hat. Well done. Good job. It just came into your head. Is she correct, Simon? Yes? Yeah, she is correct. And it was the match in, I think it was 2013, when she was the number one seed and uh, she was playing against Andrea Petkovic and uh, it was actually a very close call. So I gave the ball out and she was like, no, you can't give this ball out. And yeah, then the, the main umpire, he came down and checked and it was actually out by a few millimeters. So yeah. oh wow, that's like the moment every lines person like dreads, but also you can tell this great story that you, you got yeah. Yolanda, a former number one to say, you know, go check that mark. I love it. it was- <laughs> the funny thing about that is Andrea, she uh, came to visit our news office last year and uh, I, I told her exactly that story and she could remember that moment. Uh, wow. It was like, yeah, it was match and Yelena oh my god when she's on fire she's on fire (laughs) i love i'm a huge andrea pekovic fan i'm andrea if you're listening you're Mm -hmm. you're amazing i love you Uh, have you read her book yet i i ordered the book but it's in german i'm reading it right are you amazing yeah i have the book i just got it it's in german and i you just need to learn german now I wanted to buy it. It's not in English yet, but I wanted to support it. I bought the book and I said, oh my gosh, you know, so I'll, I'll wave my German flag at this point too. You know, I, I have my first German book that, that was written by Andre Pekovic. So and I have to say also, I mean, um, Andy is a great person. You should have her on, her, on your podcast. That would be also a lot of fun. Um, it's re- very well written. Like, you know, the German she's using, it's just a nice nice words that um that maybe you don't use every day but they're just a nice uh, part of the language or a nice way to use the language i really like it andrea pekovic is a gem she is she is brilliant and she is she's yeah. been great for tennis over the years i love her laura including yankovic you've beaten six players that were former number ones you've beaten azarenka in australia you've beaten halep pleskova venus osaka osaka you not- had in in indian wells Ah, yeah, right. No, I no, no, you are right. In Rome. Yeah, you beat. Oh, in in, in, in what? Oh, yeah, right. I know. Look, Jesus, I did. <laughs> I'm on my coffee this morning. I'm, I'm, oh, I'm yeah, doing well. Okay, that's good. Okay, I'm meaning like the Osaka. Once she like kind of broke through, maybe uh, that's what I, I have in my head. But it's true. In Rome, when she was like just starting, and also in Indian Wells in the qualies there, there I played really well. You have some amazing wins in your career. 
who has given you the biggest trouble? I know you've played, you've played Barty, you've played Kerber, you've played Wozniak, you've played Serena. We just mentioned in Auckland, which I'd love to hear a little bit about that as well. But is there anyone in the the draw that you just see and you just scream Shiza or something like, you know, some, <laughs> you're like, oh no, not, not her. I mean, is there? That's mm, yeah, probably Kvitova. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry about I mean, that. There yeah. Are... Yeah, everybody has this player that they don't like so much to play against. And I'm probably one for, for a lot of people. <laughs> they pull my name and they're like, oh, God. But uh, but for me, it's Kvitova. I could never beat her. And I, I that game style is not, not really what I like. And in the opposite side, she really likes, seemed to like my game style. So that's <laughs> not a good fit. That is not a good combination. But I'm like seeing it more as a challenge. I think she's a great, great player. Um, if she's on, she's one of the best players on the tour. And um, for me, it's a challenge. I want to beat her one day. And uh, so I kind of turn it around and see it like that. Kvitova is amazing. Deadly. I love it. When she's when she's focused and playing great tennis, it's, it's yeah. great to watch. Another great stat that you have, Laura, you've beaten nine players that were in the top 10 at the time of your match. So you have some really mm-hmm. in, in the match, in the tournament, great quality wins. Six of those times were at an event that you clearly love in Stuttgart. Mm-hmm. You had the big final in 2016. You come back in 2017. You win that dramatic 7-6 in the third final against Mladenovic that Simon mentioned earlier. Every time you play Kiki, it seems like the fire comes out. Anyway, that's that's a great matchup mm-hmm. for you. In 2016, you beat Halep, Vinci, and Radwanska. Radwanska was number two at the time. In 2017, you beat Halep again, as well as Kuznetsova and Pliskova, who was number three at the time. What do you attribute your success in Stuttgart to? I have to mention that until 2016, I played this tournament every freaking year and I always lost. I mean, I know the, the prize money of losing first round qualities. It's like 685 euro and 50 cents because I always pick that up. Yeah, I went there, <laughs> I played a match and I picked that up. It's unbelievable. And then from from suddenly, in, and I, I just didn't like the surface. It's not a real clay court. It's like a... It's like more kind of a hard court where you throw some sand on top. It's very slippery and fast also to play. And then I don't know what changed for 2016. Um, it started bad, like always. I was like down 3-5 in the first set, uh, the first round quali and against um, Karatancheva. is not a kind of player that I, I really like to play Um and uh, was, it was starting out like every year. And then when you play a tournament so often and it's not going well, it's already in your head. Like you're down three, five and you're like, oh, yeah, it's just not. It's like always the same, you know. So but I, you know, I'm a fighter. I always try to refocus on that actual moment. And, and I kind of grind my way through that match. And I just every match I kind of improved a little bit. I don't know if they changed anything on the surface. I think that year was a little bit slower. But anyway, I ended up like I mean, once you qualify for the main draw and once you win a round in the main draw, then everything is uh, loose and you, you know, everything is just in German we say cream on the top. So it doesn't matter. You can't lose anymore. And then um and then like that it went. But I have to say I have no idea why suddenly I started to play so well there. Well there's a lot of players that obviously a grand slam is is their focus and they that's always the title they really aspire to to win but you want a Porsche you want a purple Porsche I mean it's that's amazing purple. it's a purple Porsche <laughs> I take a that's freaking a... picture of it and send it to you 
probably I want you, <laughs> yes, the next Instagram. Once we post this episode, I want you next to the purple Porsche with a thumbs up. That's what we- It depends very much how the light comes in. And it's not so purple sometimes. I love it. I love it. I know we mentioned Nuremberg as well, since Simon was a Lions person there. But Simon, you were not a Lions person when I was playing there, were you? No, no, no. I already lived in Berlin when I, in, in 2017. Okay. So, wouldn't that have been amazing if you were the answer to that question and it wasn't Yankovic and mm. like who was the one player that gave Simon? <laughs> wouldn't that would would have been like? Wouldn't you have hated me if I found yeah. the one person, the one live person that you yelled at just just to kind of confront you? That what? A- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I I have I have gotten some. I'm I'm usually very calm on the court. But uh, I have gotten also a fine for saying a bad word but, uh, to the chair umpire, yeah, and not to the Lions people. But you can get grumpy at them. On play, not so much. But on hardcore, I also get grumpy at them. Oh, my gosh. Well, we mentioned, obviously, Simon in Nuremberg. So I wanted to talk about 2017. You're playing phenomenal tennis. It is unlike you've ever played. You're, you're winning these great matches. You're doing fantastic you play a few tournaments after Stuttgart, you play in Nuremberg, and it was the scene of an injury that saw you tear your ACL. I know Simon is currently recovering as well from the same injury, so I'm sure he used you as inspiration. What was that rehab and that battle like back for you? I know it paid off because you just made your first quarterfinal of the French Open, but that must have been extremely traumatic when you're playing so well and you're getting ready for the French, and bam, your, your year is over. Yeah, um, it it was exactly like that. I uh, played a close match. It was a, a normal situation. The the court was bad. It had rained a lot, like unfortunately a lot of times in Nuremberg during that time, and the court was really bad. But I cannot say why that happened. It was a normal. I mean, it was like a slide on the full run. But I don't know why that happened. And immediately, I I knew that I tore my ACL. I I just felt it. It's a severe injury, and what else in the knee can it be other than that, really? And then I had first like the first thought was really like that, like unbelievable. Like how can that happen now? And the season is over. And then the second thought was, uh, interestingly enough, I mean, I had played a lot. There was a lot going on uh, in Stuttgart and pressure, and I was traveling nonstop um, on tournaments. And the second thought that I had was like, oh, well, if it's supposed to be like that, then that's it. And you will have a lot of time for other things to do that you're always missing or you feel like you're missing out on. That was the second thought. And of course, in the very first moment, it was painful and was like dramatic and all that. And I was devastated. But already when I was in the hospital and I had clear and like um, confirmation that it was ACL rupture and and also there were some other things broken, that it was clear that this was going to be six, eight months minimum. I was in a very calm state of mind surprise because I can be a very negative person or people always think I'm super happy person and, and positive and all that and I am but I can also get very uh, negative about things if it's not going the way I want it to go and I was a little bit surprised and happy that this didn't pull me down and I had to kind of you know change my mindset and make it more positive it was right away pretty positive and that for sure helped me also to make the rehab and you know come back from it. Oh my God. It's just like, as if you are my, my twin sister or something. Uh, it was, it was exactly the same for me that uh, I can get pretty negative about those things. And 
I always had your video in mind that you made for the Eurosport mm -hmm. uh, show when you were lying in your hospital bed and you were... With my brother, actually, who was a doctor there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, this was hilarious. My brother, he's uh, as, as, I, I don't, not yet a surgeon, but on the way uh, to make the facharts. I don't know how you say it in English. And he was that week that this happened on that station where I ended up being. And that was random. It's just that I, I went to the clinic there because he recommended me to a doctor there. But it was funny. So my brother could visit me every day <laughs> in the while I'm in hospital. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm happy that, that yeah. you know, you, you had something that reminded you in a positive way that you how you can turn this thing around then yeah. wow well this has been an injury that is that has ended the career of many people so kudos and bravo to you i know sabine lesicki uh, your fellow german also just tore her yeah. acl she's been on the show big sabine fan as well so we wish her good luck yeah, i texted with her after that where it really hurt me when i heard that and i i texted her and we spoke about that where she's doing her rehab and all that i hope she's doing well but i on instagram i'm seeing she's on it <laughs> Thanks for sharing that moment. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wish you luck, Simon, and uh, you have inspiration for for your your recovery. I love it. All right, Laura, it's your last one. So let's see how we do. Simon is a sports video journalist and online TV presenter for Build Sports in Germany. That's what he does for a living. As a sports reporter, he was covering your amazing run at this year's French Open. So I asked Simon, from a fan perspective, which of those matches at the French Open were his favorite of yours. So you played five. You have Mladenovic, Gerges, Martic, Badosa, or Kvitova. Which was Simon's favorite? I have no idea, but I would just, uh, I would say not Gerges, because that was a terrible win match. <laughs> I would say not uh, not Kvitova, because that was, I couldn't find my game. I would say it was the Mladenovic match, because it was very dramatic. It was quite dramatic. Simon, what did you say? Well, I did say the Gerges match because... Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah, wow. Because, because I love you both, you know? And my, my, my heart was like... Okay, was from the German standpoint, yeah. It was win-win, right? It would be win-win for Germany. Either um, oh, yeah, exactly. it's time for a German flag uh, yeah! again. We'll, we'll the German flag. You ended. <laughs> you ended Julia's career as well. That was it. That was her yeah, last match. Yeah, that was. Yeah, exactly. And I didn't know that. Obviously, I don't know if she knew already that this was gonna be her last tournament. I texted her afterwards. I said, "Wow, this is like uh, I didn't know." And and also, I played doubles the same day. I think or the next day, and Parmentier played her last match. I don't know. I played all these people that, that stop playing yeah yeah you ended your career too like, uh, <laughs> i i am uh, uninformed i think um anyway that match against gerges i i was a very difficult match it was extremely cold and windy and we i i didn't think it was a very good match we both had extreme up and downs i just ended you know having that up in the end <laughs> in, and not her but um yeah but of course two two germans playing against each other hey it was a great win absolutely and yeah, julia was a great champion she will be missed for sure on, on the tour uh, four quality wins laura you played a fantastic french open we we have to talk about that first round we'll talk about each breakdown we just talked about gerges but we remember the fight in saving seven set points against christina mladenovic in the first round 
There was controversy, mm-hmm. which you addressed in a press conference with class, but it can't be taken away from the great comeback that you were down 1-5 in that set to squeak it out. What an important first round match for you to set the tone of that event. What are your thoughts on that first round match? Yeah, I think um, uh, it was a, a tough match. She, she started very well and I was not playing so bad, but things just didn't come together for me really. Um, and it was maybe not necessarily to be down 1-5, but that was the score. And of course, despite this unfortunate situation, I still, and that's what I said also in the press, still I had other, uh, five, I don't know, I thought it was six set points, but anyway, I had other five or six set yeah. points that I had to save. So, um, and if you do that in, in this kind of tournament, of course, it does give you a, a big boost because it's just in in the slams, particularly in every match, but in the slams also at the beginning, it's just important that you you learn to trust yourself. You know that you can get yourself out of tough situations. And this is normally maybe a tough score, uh, you know, a five all, a four all, whatever. It's not necessarily one five having a six match set points against yourself. But that's like an extreme version of showing yourself, okay, I, I can, even if the water is until here, we say, until the chin, I can stay up. Yeah. And that's, of course, what, what I learned from that match. And that for sure gave me also some confidence and some relaxedness in other situations in the tournament that I can handle those tough moments when I may be not playing so well, kind of putting myself into these situations yeah, with my own hands, but then also pulling me out again by myself. Well, you, you did a great job at focusing and allowing the tennis to speak for itself and, and move on to the next round. So yeah, absolutely a little controversy, but Everyone was looking for a story at the French Open. It was a very mm, odd French Open for yeah. everyone. It was cold. It was windy. It was it was a different time of the year. We weren't really used to it, and so it was it was the start of the tournament. It was a it was a tough way to start for you. you we talked about the next round. You played Julie Gerges, great champion there. Then the the next match was Petra Martic, who was the seed. Another down a set match, very mm-hmm. tricky opponent with Petra, really fantastic player, and you got past her. What what were your thoughts from that Martic match? This was actually for me maybe the best match of the tournament for me. We both played well. Um, of course, it was also not easy. It was later in the evening, was uh, dark. I mean, it was like, I don't know, probably was like four o'clock, but it was almost pitch dark and, and or it was cold and was just ugly, ugly circumstances, like in every match in the, in the French Open, pretty much. Um, and, uh, and, but I felt that it was just a high level match for the circumstances. But even if I would have lost, I would have had to say this was just a good level tennis match. Yeah. And then one has to be the winner. It's true. It was you. You moved on to the fourth round. You played the youngster, Paula Badosa, who has a great career ahead of her as well. What were your takeaways from, from that match? It was her first fourth round in a major as well. Yeah, that was what made it more like a nerve battle kind of thing because I felt like it was both our first timer and then the media and everyone around is they were like hyping it as that, you know, the two that are the first time and it makes it, you try to forget about it. You just try to see it as a tennis match. But if you hear 28 times the day before that this is your first fourth round and hers also, then you start thinking about it. Yeah. And, um, and so I think we both kind of went in that being nervous and it was more about who keeps the cool uh, a little bit better. And I think I started at the beginning to do that better. And I try to not think about that, but it was hard in that match. The mind kept jumping away 
and um and i it was it was it was a good i i i think i managed it well but it was not one of these matches where you are relaxed and you're just playing and it's mm. coming to you you i had to work very hard to stay calm and and to do my job well uh, but i did but i did and and i was happy about that you absolutely did. You talked about the press and and maybe that match as well. It seemed that you focused very well, obviously talking to you now. Did the press, did that first round match with Mladenovic, did that bother you? And moving forward, it seemed like it didn't, I guess, from my perspective. But you you talked about the press hyping that last match too. Is it, Are those things that you think about when when you're preparing or or they just kind of go away when you start the match? Oh, yeah, they go away when you start the match. I think uh, then, or that's the goal for sure. And of course, you know, you you hear the press, you speak to the press and, and all this around and it affects you. No one is, uh, you know, we are all, all human beings. But um, on the other hand, it's part of the job. You also have to, um, we say in German, you have to have a thick th- uh, fur sometimes, yeah? If you let everything come to you and then you get, uh, you know, it pulls you down every time, then then it's probably not the right job for you. And it was an unfortunate situation. I also, in a way, I feel bad for it. In that moment, I didn't feel like I can make this decision and I'm not supposed to make this decision. But with that double bound, honestly, this was a match against uh, an American player or any other than a French and on another court, no one would have ever talked about it, you know. So anyway, it happened how it did. And um, but I think you have to deal with this kind of stressors also as a player. And um, and uh, yeah, that's also part of being professional. Well said. Absolutely. And we move on. So you move on to your first quarterfinal at the French Open. What an accomplishment. Do you consider clay your best surface? Obviously, your results are there. You played. Yeah, definitely. Um, Mm -hmm. So obviously that that must have been such a great moment to to see your name on that quarterfinal. But thoughts from the Kvitova match. Obviously, we know it's not a great matchup for you. I'm sure you would have loved any other player in that quarterfinal. Maybe maybe next year, obviously, when (laughs) your next quarterfinal. But uh, what was your mindset like going into that match? Focused, of course, but uh, not nervous uh, too much because I knew that I would have to play very well from the beginning. And it, and so I was pretty relaxed with that. Also, you know, it's great to be in a quarterfinal. And of course, I, I wanted more than that. But um, also, it's a great achievement. Not that I'm satisfied with that, but it's like I feel like the pressure is rather getting less than more. Yeah? And, uh, and so, I, yeah. I and I, I felt like I also played well. It just kind of disappears against her a little bit. Like I feel uh, it was before also that I played good points against her, but I feel like it's not showing in that way that I need also the energy to come. It's like disappearing against her, my game. So it was a little bit like that again. Well, a great spotlight to make the quarters. Obviously, you did Germany proud to make the quarters. And, and there we go. You know, fantastic. Fantastic. But are we feeling good talking? You know, I have two Germans speaking English the whole time. I know you just want to bust out talking German the next. We can just. Sometimes I have to say that I I don't know exactly how to say it in English or how I have a phrase in my mind in German. uh, And then I try to have to like make it work in English somehow. Your English is a thousand times better than my German. Yes, you're doing very well. All right, Simon, the last question about Laura. Here we go. Let's talk doubles. Laura is a quite the accomplished doubles player. If we add up all her career ITF and WTA titles, you'll get an amazing 26 titles with the 2020 US Open being the latest piece of hardware. 
Which of the following German Fed Cup teammates has Laura not won one of those 26 titles with? Is it A, Julia Gerges, B, Mona Bartel, C, Annika Beck, or D, Angelique Kerber? Which one of those four amazing players has Laura not won one of her 26 doubles titles with? Do you know the, the answer to this, Laura? You're thinking about it. I mean, I, 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 I can't say anything now. Okay. Otherwise well, I'm, yeah, well, I'm don't like... give it away. That's right. All right. What do we think, Simon? What do you think the answer is? She's, she's thinking as well. <laughs> but like, my feeling was Mona Bartel, but um, yeah, yeah. I don't know if my feeling is right this time, but I would say Mona okay. Bartel. Did you win a title with Mona Bartel, Laura? Yeah, that's definitely wrong. I won Luxembourg. I think 2000. It's like before already. The first one is already uh, like completely like wrong. No, I won with Mona Barton and uh, and Annika Beck also yeah. in uh, Annika Beck in Florianopolis. Yeah in 2016 where we then played the fed cup this year that was kind of cool because i knew the place already and i had good experience with it and um, but with angie i never won a doubles title but also not with gerg you won a ten thousand dollar doubles challenger in walstead germany with julia gerges in uh, 2006 in okay yeah okay so I, I I knew the answer because I never I played doubles one time with Angie and that was a bonus league match and I, and she doesn't like to play doubles so it was for me clear. but I didn't have in mind where I won with Gerges but okay this is really like a 10k this is like the this is the, the Siegerman yeah, archives exactly. yes yeah but I, <laughs> I I have to say yeah I I don't um, remember that I have to say shame on me yeah <laughs> hey. Let's let's talk about your U.S. Open doubles run. You and Vera played so fantastic. Mm-hmm. How did that partnership start with Vera? You'd never played with her before, correct? Yeah, no, I didn't. Um, it was uh, basically, I mean, I have played with Anna Fritzam quite a lot the, before and the slams particularly. And I felt like I was ready for a change, try something else. And Anna was set with with someone so um it's also always about the preparation tournaments and that it makes sense to continue to be able to continue to play with someone anyway and uh, then i was kind of blank like who i'm going to play with and then i always go through the list of players and not part- not necessarily choose by the ranking of course if someone's top 30 in the ranking that says something but if someone's 50 or 80 it depends a lot on how much they play and you know where they play uh with who they play so um i'm not looking so much at the ranking for doubles i'm more thinking about the person the style they play and how well that fits to me Uh, and uh, then i was going through that list and vera came up and i had practiced sometimes with her um and and i know that she's a great player uh, in doubles that she had also i mean she had a very good doubles ranking in the past she's an amazing singles player so i was us open doubles champion exactly. as well exactly yeah. so i knew she knows to play on that level because i mean i'm looking at people where i can win the tournament with that's my really my goal like, i'm looking at a, a, a doubles partner not to win a match or two but to win really be able to play a semi-final and a final and um and then yeah she came to i saw her on the list that we had made with my coach and i was like that could be good and then of course i have to ask her if she's interested i have to ask if she plays you side because i play only ad and things have to fit mm. and then yeah she said yes and and i thought but then i didn't know 
that it matches so well because she's also a little bit older. She has, you know, she had a break. She had lots of injuries. So also uh, with all our history, with our comeback situation and all that, there are so many things we have in common, how we work, how we like things before a match, after a match, and all these so many common things that I didn't know at that time. At that time, I was only thinking about the tennis part. And um, yeah, it worked out very well. Amazing. You beat some of the best doubles teams in the world. You beat Sabalenka and Mertens. You beat Azarenka and mm. Kennan, uh, Melichar and Shu. Amazing wins there. How important is doubles to you at this stage in your career? Obviously, you're you're looking for those partners that are going to take you to, to winning more titles. But are, what's the balance between singles and doubles right now for you? Uh, yeah, it's always a bit sad because I, I love doubles and I would like to play at every tournament if possible. But I have to say that... Um, in the past also, but now even more so, uh, it's not easy for me to play both anymore. It's just really exhausting. And the, the physical aspect in my singles game, it's it's very high. I just have a physical game. I don't have these one hour, 20 minute matches, lots of serves and big forehands. You know, I'm running, I'm grinding every point. So um, that really shows also in how much recovery I need then at the end. And if you have on the same day a doubles match, that can kill your singles performance for the next day. So really, I kind of have to balance it and I just can't play both all the time. So I wish I could say that doubles has just the same, you know, priority for me as singles, but I can't do that. So as of right now, my my priority is still on singles because I think if I want to do well there, it has to be now in the next, you know, in the next year or so. Uh, doubles, I feel like that's something that I could also push back a little bit. And I've been saying that for years. <laughs> One day I think I'll be only a doubles specialist. <laughs> I would, if you asked me five years ago, I thought with 32, I'd be one. Now I feel like I can still play well in singles. And, you know, as long as I can feel like I can play like quarters in a, in a slam or this kind of results, then I really want to focus all my energy on singles. I kind of have to balance it. Uh. Yeah, uh, absolutely. No, I think you have to be very thoughtful of what you do right now. You're, you're, you have a very physical game. Can you take us to that, <laughs> that final match at the US Open? I Obviously, I'm a New Yorker. I live in New York City. It was very sad I couldn't be there this year. Hopefully next year. If we keep wearing those masks, obviously, uh, we'll see what happens. But that match point, that final moment, that, oh my gosh, I just won a Grand Slam. Was it what you had hoped for? Was it was it a great memory for you? That's that. Uh... Did you did, do you remember that point? Because it was this challenge situation. I am an honest person. I didn't realize it's the match point. I counted wrong. <laughs> so I thought. So I was so pissed that we couldn't make that break. We were always. I think we were up like two love. We couldn't make the break to the three love. We were then 2-1, we made 3-1, we couldn't make the break to the 4-1. So I was always like grumpy about that. We had break chances and we could make the distance much bigger. In doubles, it can change within a split second. Like uh, it, it, it's go, it turns around so quickly that uh, you have to be really alert all the time. And to have a gap of two, three games gives you a little bit of, you know, you can relax a little bit and you can invest, maybe try something. Uh, you you are not so much under fire, like to not let down a few points. Yeah. So I was really focused on that break and we never made it. So I was like talking in the changeover, talking to Vera about how we can make it next, better in the, because our service games were solid and um, it was all about breaking them. And then I thought it's like it was the 
the break to the uh, it was it was five three in that the game point to five three, but it was really already the match point. So the ball is out. So I was totally relaxed. I was Vera. She served an unbelievable game. I think I don't know three service winners or and then was like forty love I think. And I was at the net. She Melika plays that inside out late return wide. And this call didn't come, I think, or anyway, we challenged. And I mean, it was out like this. I knew that. And I was, I mean, really in the zone on the court. I mean, I don't see anything. I didn't even see Vera. She was like, <laughs> and like this astonished look on her eye. And I didn't even look at her. I was like, okay, ball is out. Great. Come on. Let's, let's, let's uh, like make that final break. And she, Vera is like, but that ball was out, no? And I'm like, yeah, it was out. And she's like, yeah, but what's the score then? And I'm like, yeah, it's game. And she's like, yeah, but what's the score? And I'm like, it's, I was getting annoyed. I was like, yeah, it's game. And it's like 5-3. And she's like, no, it's not. And I, in that moment, I realize, <laughs> and I look up the scoreboard. And that's the, <laughs> that's like the uh, most awkward feeling if you are fighting so hard, like for an hour and a half to stay in the zone. And pro suddenly someone tells you, ah, it's over. You won. That was so awkward, like that. It's like, I was like, almost like, wait a minute. I mean, I deserve to be nervous on a match point and like, like really have the adrenaline yeah, going like and that. jump of joy and all that. <laughs> and that's not happening now. I like missed that. <laughs> that was really the situation. And then, uh, and then so we won, everything good. But uh, I, I was like, on one hand, never so relaxed on a match point. I mean, I had no nerves because I didn't know it was a match point. But on the other hand, I have to say, I also was a little bit sad because that's an amazing feeling when you're like, you're so nervous, you can barely hold the racket and then you're making that final shot or the other ones are missing that final ball and you're like, oh God, it's over, we made it. That's also a nice feeling and I totally missed out on that. <laughs> that story is amazing. Oh, that's great. That's the, that's, the, but much different from your, your mixed doubles title. Yeah, then. back then. Exactly. I mean, do you remember that I was like, uh, I was very nervous. I wanted to that title so bad. And I remember I was like, I was, it was the same. I was at the net uh, doing eye formation. It was the same situation. And, and um, Marte, he served like a body serve and the ball came to me and I volleyed it away, but like, like this, like this. <laughs> but I put it in. So, but it was completely different this time. And uh, it was not the first time it happened to me. I mean, I'm, it's good to be in the zone, but I mean, I'm so much in the zone that I forget sometimes <laughs> score, the proper uh, score. Amazing. You've played with some great partners over the years as well. You mentioned a little bit. Are you are you the boss on the court? Are you typically the one that's making the decisions yeah. or do you like to be the strategic partner? Yeah, I I think I am the alpha. I don't know if you say in English, alpha animal. <laughs> yeah, alpha, for sure, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's also not easy. I mean, in doubles, you know, you have to, I think it's good if you have someone who is like uh, in charge and, and has the command, but it's also, of course, important that both are participating. And uh, I also, um, I think it's important to find the right people that can deal with your personality. And of course, I'm very, uh, very strong person, a very so strong personality in doubles but i i really like the team thought of it and i like to talk to my partner and the more feedback that comes in from each other the the better you can work on your game together during your while you're playing and that's what makes mm. it really great to me like for example with vera 
I would talk two hours with my coach before Paul Davis, the guy that who was there when I won in Boston at the tournament. I would talk. Uh, he's one of the best doubles coaches in the world for me. And um, and I would talk two hours with him about our opponents. And then I would go mm -hmm. up to Vera's room. She would be also preparing in her way. And then we would sit down and in 10 minutes we would say, I say, listen, Paul said this and this. I think we should do this and that. And then I, I so I would kind of just pre-prepare the information and then just kind of talk it over with her if she's the same opinion or what what other things she saw and like that we would prepare for matches so i like to do the 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 massive like preparation part yeah i love hearing behind the veil behind the curtain yeah. the the preparation of a champion like like you amazing well we ended up one and one you each got one right but because of the tie break simon is today's champion Woo! in our fan versus favorite well done <laughs> and well deserved i love i love every second of it it was well deserved you have bragging rights for the fans this week well done mm -hmm. simon well done all right before we end today we have a couple fan mail questions you've got mail the first one is from austin in new york city he's asking laura during your 2017 stuttgart final the chair umpire issued you a time violation as you were serving for the match. Uh -huh. What was going through your mind when you lost that point and the home crowd started booing? Do you remember that moment? Yeah, uh, I was going through my mind that I um, I deserve it in a way because I'm just too slow. That it's still uh, not a good decision in that moment from the umpire, but she that I know this umpire and that I know she will never take it back. Even I can talk now 30 minutes to her, it's dance. So I can save my energy. And it's not it's not a good situation that this happens, but it's not going to decide anything about the match. So if I keep myself together and focus on what to do next, and uh, that's what I did. And, and throughout your career, I'm sure you've had many calls that have gone in your favor and gone against you. We've mm. already talked about the French Open. I mean, there, I there are moments. time violations a lot also in my career are you so. slow yeah are I'm you slow, slow player? Yeah, yeah i'm slow yeah i am <laughs> but i have to say it, it was always like that i try to be fast uh, and i go a lot to the towel and it just takes time and i'm not doing it in a, in a way to get the opponent off or anything i am just slow and there are other players that are also slow but then the umpire it's just a lot up to the umpire when they start to press even now that we have the clock when they start to press it do you like the clock what's the next rule change in tennis that needs oh, to happen of course i don't That's... like the clock because i'm slow <laughs> <laughs> how can i like it? i hate the clock i had in paris now i was like one second late the first time and she gives me a time violation i mean that's when i also get give her a look because as we know, there are many other players that are also that slow and they get no time violation. So then I have to say, then be fair with everybody, no matter what name or what ranking you have, that clock starts at the same time and don't make it a two-class system, you know. But anyway, uh, in, in that Stuttgart match, I was just, I knew I have to decide now, do I want to put energy on that point where I will lose anyway? It's a, it's a war I cannot win. Or do I want to put energy in winning this Sorry, fucking match. And I decided the second. Yeah. Do you, is there a match in your career that you look back and you can say you're the most proud of? That might be, for, for a fan perspective, that is what a classic match for you. But is there, was there one maybe that was more personal to you that you could look back over the years <laughs> yeah. and say, you know what? That was like, oh, that is so, that match was amazing. 
Which one? Yeah, this is a nice, very nice question that I really, uh, I, I have to say, I'm really happy you're asking that because a lot of times I, I have to say, yes, this Stuttgart match is one of the ones where I'm very proud of, but there are other matches. I, I feel a lot of times this sport is very, um, what you see, it's only a small part of what is happening. And a lot of times, especially at slams, I feel like, you know, you're playing your match and they make a big deal out of it. And it was maybe not that good of a match. You played a hundred matches better than that, but they were on a small court in a moment where no one gave a damn about you. And, but you are you, you are putting the effort in. So there is, for example, one match uh, that I played against uh, in Madrid. Uh, it was, I think, 2016. Um, and I played against Conta. And she was seven in the world back then, I think. And it was, I think it was a first round. I'm not sure if it was a first round or second round. And we played after a men's match. And we were late on the schedule. And it was supposed to be around seven or so, the match. And then the men played so late. We ended up going on court at 11.30. And it was freezing. It was maybe 10 degrees. And everybody kind of went home already. And there was nobody there. There were no spectators. I mean, literally, there were five people. My coach, her coach, I think her mom or uh, someone else, and like two people who had to clean the courts after when we were done. And you had already that could be a twenty twenty match. That <laughs> yeah, could have been exactly. a match this year. You played many of those matches this year. Exactly. And you and and you felt like from the supervisor and everybody, they were like, "Okay, girls, let's be quick to get this over with." Like you know, and this is one of the really big tournaments. You want to do really well. It's about a lot of points, a lot of money. It's really important. Plus, you're playing a top ten player. Yeah. And this match, I was down. Uh, was a great match, was a great level. As a, for me, I don't know if <laughs> Joanna would say the same thing, but for me, because she was not the type of player I really liked to play against. And for me, it was a great level. It was like, I don't know, I, I'm not so great with the scores, but something like 6-4, six, 4-6, four, four, six, it was close. And then I was down 2-3 in the, uh, love 3 in the third. And it was like 1 a.m. or 1.30 already. And I, it, it was not, it didn't have to be love three. I was closer than that, but it was basically gone. And I was sitting on the bench and I was thinking to myself, I don't want to do it anymore. Like, it's just, it's cold. There is no atmosphere. It's sorry. It, the whole thing is a piece of shit. Like I've worked my ass off and now I just lost the, I just, I fell one step back and I really, I was like, I just want to go home. Then I lose this match. I take the plane and tomorrow I'm home uh, chilling on the couch. And then I thought to myself, you're such an unprofessional. Like, get your freaking self together. Do whatever you can, even if you know it's not going to work. I want to see every fucking point from you. Sorry, my language. Every hey, I love the passion. Keep going. I love this is great. From you. I don't want you to take the easy way out here. And I kind of basically kicked myself in the butt in a moment where, and that's not happening a lot of times that I get demotivated because of the circumstances, because of how the game went. Also, no spectators, no one to pull you. Yeah. And I really was able to kick myself in the butt, turn the game around and win 6-3. And I remember, I mean, last point, fist pump, pack the bags, put over towels. I went out. And everyone was happy the damn thing was finally over. And I hugged my boyfriend back then. And my coach was not there, was only my boyfriend. So also no one that would be able really to help me during the match with tactics. Um, not that we ever do coaching. But, 
And I gave him a hug and I said to him, he said, that was amazing. And I said, it was like in an ugly underground center court place. And I said, this was one of the best matches I played in my damn career. And he said, I know. And that was this moment where you, if this was on a center court during day, uh, the 10,000 people would cheer and scream and they would celebrate you the next two days, how amazing you are. And there was nobody. You took, you went, you took a shower. They were like cleaning behind you. You sat in the car. No one even knew. People looked the next day, the result. Oh, look, Sigmund beat Conrad. Oh, surprise. Mm, okay. And, that, and that's happening also. That was one of these matches where I fought so hard not to give up. I wanted to not even win the match, but just to, to not be able, to not say in the end, I didn't try everything I could. And that was really circumstances and a situation and a moment where it wouldn't have mattered. No one would have given a, a, a damn if I would have lost against Conta. So what? It was a good match, you know. But I didn't want that. It was not enough for me. And that was a fight where I'm really proud that I was able to, to do that. And that kind of reminds me of this corona phase now. It's also about the inner motivation that you bring. We don't have fans right now. The circumstances we blame, they aren't great. It's not fun. But I have to say also that's why you are a professional because you have to pull your fucking performance off no matter what is going on in the outside. That's what I expect from myself. And uh, and that's, yeah, that's one match I remember. And also kind of the bow is coming to, to Paris this year where also the circumstances, particularly for me with my injury and all that, were not, not great. But then I'm proud of it because I said I did everything I could. And then also good things come out of it. Oh, Laura. Amazing. Wow. Sorry. That was lit. That was long. No, I, I, <laughs> I hope you didn't fall asleep. <laughs> the passion, yeah. obviously it just comes through and it, it is fantastic to hear that. So thanks for, thanks for sharing that. Simon, the last question goes to you today. And just yesterday I rewatched the highlights of the Auckland match versus Serena and you were actually three love in front uh, in the second set. And uh, then I don't know what happened, but Serena uh, happened, Simon. I mean, we we know who this person is. It's called Serena Williams. Yeah. Even even Serena admitted afterwards that Laura is such a good player and that she's so you know has such a good variety of shots. But maybe for us who don't have that professional experience, mm -hmm. what is it that mm -hmm. in the end she kind of I don't know makes herself invincible again when before she 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 seemed pretty yeah normal let's let's say like that um yeah i can explain you that really well um the that particular score also <laughs> um the the thing is the score itself in general in tennis um it's 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 sometimes it's giving you a wrong impression the same thing with that also that i didn't realize the match point at the at the, at the championship point basically um it's a good sign that you're in the zone because sometimes if you like a three love against Serena where you where you broke her one time, it's it's one break. She yeah. breaks you back like that because my serve isn't as good. She could break me any time and she usually doesn't lose her serve. So it can look like a big gap, but it's not really. If you broke her two times already, then it's a bigger gap, but it would still be three love. You know what I mean? Like the score sometimes looks... I personally feel like it, it. You have to be careful with the with the score. And in that moment, in that match, it was exactly like that. I was up three love, 
uh, I had two, three chances that I have to make, like that I'm support points that I'm supposed to make and I didn't. And then she played it well and suddenly everything is gone. And that's what happens against her. What makes her also different from many other players is that she will use that weakness. If you let down two, three points that you're supposed to, that you're supposed to do and she steals them from you, then she stays consistent. She will not lose her next service game. Um, and, and then she, she runs over you faster than you can look. And the same happened. It was, I think, four all in the, in the, in the second set. And it, I played great tennis. And it was, uh, I don't know, it was 40, 50. I think I had break points. I don't know if it was in the second set. Um, I had break points and it was 15, 40. She served me two aces, a service winner, and two great points where I can like do almost nothing. And I didn't do anything wrong, and I yeah, still exactly. lost the game to 4-5. I, I, and against other players, that's just enough. They get, they get weak. They think, oh, now it's 15-40. Ah, shoot. You know, they let down. And she just doesn't do that, especially the, the more the water rises to her, you know, chin, the better she gets. That's the, that's the second time we've used that expression. What's the German expression? What do we want to say? How do we say this in German now? I want I want we in America we don't say the water rises to the chin. So now I want to say the German way. When when an das Wasser bis zum Hals steht, oder? That's right. Damn straight. Or That's you what can I say also when an die Scheiße bis zum Hals steht. Okay. I know a few of those words. Anyway, it's just till here yeah, and if yeah. you take the neck down then you're under, you know. Yeah, I wanted to say it was interesting that the that you said that but um interesting to hear that from a fan um yeah. but that was exactly how I felt about the match, about the season. I was like, that was a great performance. I was sad that I lost, but um, I really presented my way in, a, in myself in a great way. I played great tennis, something that I want to see from me down the road. And I, I felt like this is going to be a good season. I, I feel that if I play this performance and I yeah. stay healthy, there will be good things ahead. Absolutely. Oh, and, and there has been. And look what happened. Yeah. We had Jessica Pagula on the show, and she said the exact same thing about her Auckland match with Serena mm -hmm. Well. So you're mm -hmm. in good company, Laura. Yeah. And we've had yeah. a great a great company today. You both have been fantastic. What a spas hour. What a fun. Actually, we're at, we're at almost an hour, too. We're doing. We're like two yeah. hours, yeah. But it was fun. And it was because of my long answer. Sorry. <laughs> I want to thank my guests for joining us today. It has been so much fun getting to know you both. Auf Wiedersehen, mein Freunds. Uh, you can yeah. find Simon on Instagram at nomes underscore r-e-i-e-m-l-l-a-d you should get a different instagram Simon. Just, that one's difficult. just my name like the other way around it's uh... oh, oh there we go yeah for that. thank you and, and please be sure to send me that serena thesis i'd love to seriously read it thank you so much laura can be found if you have it in english otherwise he has another german book at home that he cannot read <laughs> laura can be found on instagram and twitter at laura Siegemann. And also check out her website, laurasigamond.com. Laura, you literally have one of the nicest player websites I've ever seen. You have to check this out. It is so it is so well done. It's really nice. Oh, thank you so much. I have to fight to keep it up to date because sometimes I also forget about it, you know. But and, and websites are not that popular anymore. Normally now you only go on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, but I did take time to make it really nice and I'm glad that finds appreciation. It's very nice. Thank you so much for joining today. I can't thank you enough. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> of course. While you're on Instagram, please follow us at Fantastic Tennis Pod or on Twitter at Fan Tennis Pod. 
My name is John Garica. Send me a DM on Instagram at John Garica. I'd love to hear who you want to have next on an upcoming show. I hope you also can be my next fan guest on the pod as well. Thank you for listening, everyone. This has been fantastic. <laughs>